Hello, and welcome to Kennebec Connection, a weekly podcast from the pulpit ministry of Kennebec Baptist Church in Anger, North Carolina. It is our hope that the message today might encourage your heart and lift your soul. Our hope is that what you hear will draw you closer to God and help you in your daily walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or need any help, feel free to contact us through our website at kennebecbaptist.org. That's K-E-N-N-E-B-E-C baptist.org. Well, good morning. It is good to be in God's house this morning, and as we are gathered here this morning, and if you have your Bible with you, I'd invite you to open up your Bible to the second book of Corinthians, chapter 7. Hopefully you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, all of you look like you're well-fed. I uh, hope you had a great time getting together. It was a little different this year for many of us, but thank God we still have so much to be thankful for. I wanted to share with you the mission that we are working on here at Kennebec. Our job is to transform lives through evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, and worship. Our vision is to reach Andrew and beyond with the gospel of Christ, and the purpose for this is to fulfill God's great commission and His great commandment. And that's what we do. That's why we exist as a church. I'm going to be continually reminding you of our vision to reach Andrew and beyond with the gospel of Christ. That is, that's who we are, and that's what we are, and that's what we're about. And uh, I want you to be also in prayer as we seek to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people moving in every day. Uh, we are going to see this, this area double in just a couple more months, most likely. And uh, as we continue to, to preach the gospel, we're going to count on God to begin to touch lives. But... Uh, I'm going to just guess that 2020 has been sort of a difficult year for you guys. I'm just going to guess that, that if you're like me, you're not really upset about looking at 2020 in the rearview mirror. Um, it's been a very discouraging time. I, I was reading an article the other day that was talking about how discouraged pastors across America are in America today. Just, just how difficult a time it has been for, for those who are, who are leading the Lord's churches. And it occurred to me that it's probably not just the pastors who are going through a season of discouragement. And if you're not going through a season of discouragement, probably you will. Stories told of the devil's yard sale, where he was selling some of his tools and all the demons of hell came to show up to grab some of Satan's tools. There was envy, there was greed. There was jealousy, there was lust. All of these wonderful tools of Satan were on sale and on clear display. But over in the corner, there was a well-worn tool with a sign on it that said, not for sale. One of the enterprising demons offs and says, what is this tool and why is it not for sale? And Satan said, well, I can spare my other tools but I cannot spare this one. It is the most useful tool I have. It is called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into the hearts otherwise inaccessible. When I get this tool into a man's heart, the way is open to plant anything there I may desire. Now, while that is a fictional story, there is a lot of truth in the fact that discouragement is a very powerful tool of our enemy. 
This morning we're looking at the text at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And it's an interesting thing that happens here. You see, the, the Apostle Paul plants the church in Corinth around 51 AD. Now, as churches go, Corinth is in the worst place imaginable. It is, in fact, the, the, the town itself was so immoral that even immoral people thought Corinth was immoral. In fact, when you acted in a way that was considered horrible or immoral, you were considered to be Corinthian in the Greek age. They would say, you're acting very Corinthian right now, friend. Uh, uh, anything you can imagine was going on in Corinth and then some. And, and in the middle of this cesspool of humanity, the Apostle Paul shows up in 51 AD and begins to share the gospel and people respond, and, and, and a church is planted, but it's planted in the most immoral place. So, of course, the church begins to deal with problems of immorality, which prompts Paul to write 1 Corinthians. Later on, he gets word that, that they still didn't like what he said, they didn't like what he had to say, so he sends Titus with another word to them, and then he doesn't hear from Titus. Now, he writes 1 Corinthians around 55, 56 A.D., about five years into this church. And then about a year later, he writes the book of 2 Corinthians. That's what you and I have here. But, but in the meantime, he has sent word to Titus to try to straighten him out again, and he hasn't heard anything from Titus, and he gets discouraged, wondering what's going on at the church in Corinth. Finally, Titus comes back with word that his, his message has been received, that there has been repentance, and that the church welcomes him to a return visit. And, and, and he is greatly encouraged. But there was a season of discouragement. And that's where we're at this morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to stand as we read together 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to do verses 5 through 7. And listen to what the Word of God says here. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, that is Greece, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Father, this morning I pray that you would just give us ears to hear your message today. And Lord, that we might be encouraged by your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, there was a young lawyer who had experienced a, a series of, of, of just depressing events that, that sank this lawyer into a deep, deep depression, so much so that his friends thought it was wise to, to take all of his knives and all the razors in his home away from him, lest he do something to harm himself. During this time, he wrote personal I am now the most miserable man alive. And whether I will ever be better, I do not know. I feel like I never will. Now, fortunately for you and I, this young lawyer was wrong. He did recover and went on to become one of the greatest presidents our nation has ever seen. His name was Abraham Lincoln. And perhaps the reason he had a beard was because his friends hid all of his razors. 
you and I are going to go through times of conflict. There are going to be times of discouragement. I want you to look this morning at the conflicts of God's man. Now, this is an interesting thing, and this is one of the things that gets me. We're, we're looking at Paul, a man that God is going to use to write one-third of the New Testament, a man that God is going to use to plant churches all over Asia and, and even into Europe. He's going to be the first man to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ into Europe. He's even going to take it into Rome. We're looking at a man that God is going to use in a month way but but what do we see it says here when we came to macedonia our bodies had no rest man have you ever just been just worn out tired and, and you know when you're worn out tired it seems like discouragement is much easier to come by when you just can't seem to get rest when it just seems like every single day something is hitting you something is hitting you 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 go to bed weary and you just want to get rest and you wake up and you just don't feel refreshed and then when this is going on, he says, outside were conflicts. Now, we face an external foe. Paul's ministry was one of turmoil. And in fact, if you have your Bible, I want to just remind you about the calling of, of Paul. Look at Acts chapter 9. Now, now here Paul is, uh, first of all, his name is Saul. And he's going to persecute the church. He's on the road to Damascus when, when a bright light shines from heaven and Jesus calls him to the ministry. And then he calls on a guy named Ananias to, to come and to meet Paul. And Ananias is like, dude, I, I've heard of this guy, Paul. He kills people like me. And you want me to go meet this guy? And God says, yes, I've got a mission for Paul. And, and, and get this. Listen, listen to what the Bible says. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. The Lord says to Ananias, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Look at verse 16. This is his calling. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Yes, God's man is called. And what is God's man specifically called to do? Suffer for the name of Jesus. That's a pretty tough call. Paul describes his perils later on. In this same book that you and I in 2 Corinthians, Paul would later on go in and just give the Corinthians a little idea of what he deals with on a daily basis. Look at chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. And look at verse 24, and this is what he says. From the Jews, five times I have received 40 stripes minus one. Now what is that? They, they take a, a, what was called a cat and nine tails, a, a big lash, they would tie him to a pole, and, 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 the, and, the, and they would whip him, but, but they, weren't, they wouldn't give him to be merciful. He was counted on 40 lashes, but they were merciful, and they would only give him 39. Does that sound exciting to you? Can you imagine what his back must have looked like as it had been torn apart by whips? And how many times? It didn't just happen one time. Not just twice, not just, not just three times, five times I received four stripes minus one. Look what else it says here. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. In fact, we will find out later he was left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. You know what that means? About 36 hours floating in the ocean doesn't sound exciting to me. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, 
and perils of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, and fastings often in cold and nakedness. That's his calling. That's what he faced. You and I tend to look at the life of Paul and think, man, what an awesome thing it must have been to have been God's man. But God's man was discouraged. Oftentimes he faced things that, that would probably make most of us want to quit. Are you facing discouragement in your life? Do you have outside conflicts that seem to just be tearing you apart? And, and this is what he says. He says, we, we, when we came to Macedonia, our, our bodies had an unrest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. That's what we call the external foe. But then the external foe, this struggle that we're going, the Bible says it's not against flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, we have an external foe, and his name is the devil. And Satan is constantly going after God's men and God's women, and you're a target. When you take the name of Jesus upon you, you put a great big huge target on yourself, and you say, all right, I'm standing up for Jesus. And Satan goes, let's see. And there are going to be times when you will face discouragement. The Bible says there are outside conflicts, the external foe. But the, the only problem is that the external foe also creates an internal conflict. And this is what I call internal woe. You see, it says inside were fears. We face a lot of fears today. See a global pandemic that, that sweeps our nation and, and so people that are living in fear they they won't even come outside of their homes uh, they're scared to 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 even breathe the air and and this external problem comes internal and and creates in us this great discouragement now paul had sent titus to check on the church at corinth and he'd sent a rather strongly worded letter to try to straighten out the church and imagine he was a little anxious to how it was received. You, you remember the saying, don't kill the messenger? Well, in Paul's day, that was a real thing. You got to a place, you delivered a message, they didn't like it, they killed you. That just happened. And I can imagine there was a, a lot of anxiety going on as, as, as he worried about Titus and worried about how that letter was going to be received. And, and he brings it inside and it causes him internal strife. God's man was depressed. And if this happens to God's self-called, self-picked man, should we be surprised when it happens to us? You see, in life we're going to face external and internal pressures. And often the external produces the internal woe. The external foe produces an internal woe. And, and, and we find ourselves in this, in this state that the Bible says that there's an internal fearing and, and, and it's discouraging. What if you're faced with discouragement? What if today you come into the church and, and you've just been fighting and you've been fighting? What does the Bible say? The, what, what encouragement would I get? No, the word I would say is this, don't give up. The story is told of a pastor that had a dream. And in the dream, he dreamed that he sat on top of a great, huge granite rock. And his job was to break 
the rock into pieces with a pickaxe. And so he sat upon this rock and he hid it and he hid it and he hid it. And after an hour, there was literally no result. And in this dream, suddenly a man stood beside him and asked, were you not given this task? And if so, why are you going to abandon it? My work is in vain, said the pastor. I can make no impression on the granite. Then the stranger solemnly replied, that is nothing to you. Your duty is to pick at the rock. Whether the rock yields or not is not yours to worry about. The results are in someone else's hands. Your job is to do the work. Now, in this preacher's dream, he saw himself getting out again and, and standing on that rock. And, and at this time, he's renewed. He's, he's ready. He understands the task. And in his dream, he hits the rock one more time, and it shatters into pieces. If you're discouraged, don't give up. We're going to have conflicts, folks. One of the favorite verses I love to quote, John 16, 33, Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. You can count on it. But you just keep moving forward because I've got news for you. There is a comfort that is coming. Let me talk to you about the comfort of God's Spirit. This is one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. Look at verse 6. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, I love that phrase. Our God comforts the downcast. If you have the New Living Translation, it says it like this. God, who encourages those... <clears throat> sorry, puberty's been rough. <clears throat> who encourages those who are discouraged. Do you hear that? That's in your Bible. God encourages those who are discouraged. Now, now I, don't, I don't know about you. Uh, just recently, this past week, uh, my, my wife and I found, I don't know if you guys do this, but we, we get on the internet and we get on a Roku and we find series and we, what do they call it, binge watch series? We found this series um, by this lady named Leah Remini. Now, y'all might not know her. She was in the King of Queens and she was a Scientologist. And she left Scientology, and now she has a whole expose that she does about the church of Scientology and just how they treat people and how they abuse people. And, and, and man, it was a discouraging thing to watch. And, and it made me think about those folks that are in Scientology and realize that they don't have a God. I, I don't even know who their God is or what their God is, but I know this, their God doesn't seem to be the kind of God that comforts the downcast. Do you think that the, the people that follow Islam, do you think that Allah comforts the downcast? What about the Buddhist? Do you think the Buddhist gets comfort from the Buddha? Think about all over the world today, there are, there are people that are looking for hope and, and they have none. There are people that are looking for comfort and they have none. But my Bible tells me that my God gives comfort to the downcast. He encourages the discouraged. That's our God. Our God is a very present help in trouble. Our God is the peace in the midst of the storm. Our God is a bright and shining light. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is our hope and our Savior. He is our God and our King, and He is our encourager. 
In fact, as, as Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples to go to the Garden of Gethsemane in, in, in John 14, 26, Jesus promised that the divine advocate, the Holy Spirit, was on his way to help his disciples. Our God left us with the holy encourager, the holy advocate, the Holy Spirit of God. And he is here with us. How important is encouragement? How important is it to have a God that encourages his people? How important is, how important is encouragement? Over 100 years ago, there was a young inventor named Henry. And, and Henry was just getting a lot of flack about his, his inventions, man. Everybody was making fun of Henry and his ideas. And he was just discouraged as he could be. And as he was recalling a time in his life, he, he, he went to, to this big, huge meeting of inventors and, and, and great minds. And, and he sat at this table and began to, to describe this engine that he had thought up. Everyone at the table seemed to be thinking that electricity was the way of the future and that, and that they were going to use electric cars. And, and Henry said, but I, I had this idea that we can use gasoline and use an engine that can be mass produced. And, and as Henry sat at that table, an older man at the corner of the table became very interested in what Henry had to say. And he walked over and said, can you show me what it is you're talking about? And Henry took a napkin and began to draw out his idea for a gasoline engine. And that old man stumped his head on the table and says, by George, you've got it. You do that. That's what we're looking for. And Henry said that was the most encouraging word he had ever heard as that old man Thomas Edison encouraged a young Henry Ford and said, go for it. And Henry Ford in his autobiography said that made all the difference in his life. A little encouragement. You guys have heard the saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Well, let me just add to that. How about this? In the same vein, an ounce of encouragement can help lift pounds of discouragement away. Our God is an encourager. He gives hope to the hopeless. He gives strength to the downtrodden. Our God is someone who comes alongside us and helps to lift our burdens. In fact, he says, if you will come to me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our God is the great encourager. Who knows, though, how our God that encourages might use us to encourage someone else. Who knows when we might have the opportunity to be a Thomas Edison to a young Henry Ford. Who knows when you or I might have the opportunity to encourage someone who is struggling. Who knows when our actions might make a lasting positive impact on someone else's life. Look for opportunities to be an encourager. Just recently, while I was on my sabbatical, one of the things that I came up with was the fact that, that I need to every day try to make a positive impact in someone else's life. I came back and I challenged the staff, Larry, Scott, let's every day try to call one person. Let's every day try to just lift up one person. And Larry and Scott and Mark are all three every day lifting one person in this, in this fellowship up. If every day we're lifting one person person's life five days a week three people five days a week that's 15 people every week they're being lifted up 
And then if the deacons get on the same vein and go, you know what, I'm going to do the same thing in my ministry. I'm going to, I'm going to call the people on my, on my deacon list. And, and, and then the Sunday school teachers say, you know what, I'm going to take that same challenge. I'm going, to, I'm going to call the people I go to Sunday school with. And every day I'm going to try to make one positive impact on the people I minister to. And, and then it's just the people in the church go, you know, that's a pretty good idea, Pastor. I don't have a Sunday school class that I teach. I'm not a deacon at Kennebec Baptist Church, but by George, I can call friends. And what if all of us began every single day to say, I'm just going to make one phone call. I'm going to encourage one person. And if every single person at Kennebec Baptist Church decided every day, I'm going to try to make one person's life just a little bit better. Can you imagine what Kennebec Baptist Church is going to become? Thank you for the one person that thinks it's a good idea, brother. <laughs> what if we all said today, I'm going to find one person every single day for the rest of this week to call and encourage. Could you do that? Could you say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Do you think that sounds biblical? Do you think that might be something that Christ might want us to do? Do you think that might help make a difference in someone else's life? It's not all about us, right? I mean, Christianity, if you think about it, it's about Jesus and others and then us, right? Christianity is all about an external focus, right? Oh, y'all, at 11 o'clock, people are going to really agree with this. God comforts the downcast. Did y'all underline that in your Bible? You see, I find that one of those, what I, what I call a verse worth underlined. Uh, God who comforts the downcast. Man, uh, that is a beautiful phrase in the Word of God, is it not? Did you walk into this church this morning a little bit downcast? Did you maybe need to hear God telling you, I've got this? All right, final thing here. Let's talk about the coincidence of God's timing. You, you see, it's no coincidence that God sends Titus right when Paul needs him. Right at the bottom, when he, when he seems like he's just at the bottom, he's, just, he's worried, he's discouraged, Titus shows up with good news. Titus says, hey, I want you to know that the message I took to the church at Corinth was well received. They repented, they have turned themselves around, and they said they look forward to seeing you again sometime. Boy, what an encouragement Paul has received. God's timing is an amazing thing. You know what the thing about our God? He shows up exactly on time. But see, here's the interesting thing. You guys, we got to realize we're on God's schedule, not ours. God's going to show up exactly when God needs to show up, and God's going to do something amazing when he shows up. August 24th, 1814. Does that date ring a bell? Not unless you're a historian geek like me. It probably wouldn't ring a bell for you. But that was an important day in American history. You see, America was engaged in the War of 1812, and the war lasted more than 1812. I mean, it went on more than 1812. But in that particular year and in that particular moment, things weren't looking good for the Americans. The British showed up. They landed a huge fleet and started marching towards Washington, D.C., and the Americans mustered what little force they could muster, and, man, the British tore them up. And then the British marched into Washington, D.C. and began to set every single building that the young nation was building on fire. They set the White House on fire. 
If you remember history, Dolly Madison grabbed a portrait of George Washington and ran out the door, literally chased by the redcoats all the way to, to, to upper uh, Maryland. They set the United States Capitol building, which was just being constructed, on fire. They were burning Washington, and then something amazing happened. Out of nowhere, it began to rain. Not only did it rain, but we think it might have actually been a hurricane, and it put out the fire. But with the hurricane, it brought a tornado, and the tornado threw, blew through the British troops. It took two of their huge cannons and knocked them over. And the tornado killed more British troops than the Americans had. And just in time, this rain showed up and saved Washington, D.C. The British hightailed it out of town. And America was saved by a coincidence as a hurricane and a tornado stopped the flames and drove out the British. Our nation might not have made it if someone hadn't showed up right on time. Now, if you are a skeptic, or an agnostic, you would think that is probably one of the greatest coincidences in the history of all meteorological events. In fact, what's amazing is since that day, there have only been seven tornadoes recorded in Washington, D.C. In the over 200 years since that event, there have only been seven tornadoes ever in D.C., and none have done that kind of damage. You see, God shows up just on time. And when God shows up, verse 7 says, not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Just at the right moment, Titus showed up. The apostles' letter had been received, repentance had taken place, and, and Paul was now encouraged. God's timing is patient. Our patience, God's timing is perfect. Our patience is not. We often don't understand why God shows up when he does. But God has a way of showing up exactly when we need him. I love what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 about the coming of Jesus Christ. We're, we're getting ready to celebrate the advent of Christ. The, the advent season is upon us. We're anticipating the birth of Christ. And Galatians 4, 4 says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. You get that? When the time was right, when the fullness of time had come, when everything was just right, God sent his Son. That's our God. His timing is perfect. And if you will wait on God, there will be a way out. Isaiah chapter 40 speaks of this. Uh, verse 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So if you are discouraged, if you are facing a time of discouragement, let me encourage you with five things this morning. Number one, pray. 
Pray. The, the, in fact, the very first response to almost everything we as believers face is going to happen on our knees. The very first place to take any kind of problem is right on your knees to the Lord. Amen? What, what does the Bible say? So much about prayer. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And the Lord will open these things to you. Do you remember what that, that old hymn used to say? How we used to always sing it. Oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Our first response to any kind of situation or issue as believers is prayer. But there's a second thing. Allow God's word to encourage you. Uh, you might be dealing with some kind of temptation or some kind of trial. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 reminds us that even in temptation, whatever it is you're going through is not uncommon to man. And God is faithful to help us. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? God's got this. Folks, whatever it is that you're going through, I want you just to allow the Word of God to encourage you. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. Be encouraged by the Word of God. If you're seeking, if you're in a season, man, I've often said, man, just open up the book of Psalms. Just If you're in a difficult time, just allow the Word of God to speak to you. Number three, have confidence that God will show up. Have confidence God's going to show up. Uh, Psalm chapter 40, write this down, Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3, says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Four, find someone else to encourage. You may be amazed at how blessed you are when you learn to bless others. You know what I find is when I go to try to encourage another brother or sister, oftentimes I get the greater blessing. You're looking down, you're not feeling encouraged. Find someone to encourage. Share some hope that's in you. Share, share with someone else. When you lift someone else up, it lifts you up. And finally, if you haven't already done it, make peace with God. You see, you will never know God's peace until you make peace with God. Now, what does this mean? Folks, there's got to be a time in your life where you allow God inside. If you want encouragement, you need God in your life. If we need encouragement, we need Jesus. Remember how we spoke about the Holy Spirit? Emmanuel now, God with us. God, Jesus, when he was here, was Emmanuel. He left the Holy Spirit as God's presence here with us. He's here today. Whenever two or more are gathered in his name, he's here. The Holy Spirit of God is in this place. And this morning, he may be speaking to your heart. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit is going to say to any of us is the desire for a relationship. God wants to have a relationship with us. Listen, everybody's got religion. 
The atheist goes, I ain't got no religion. No, you believe in yourself, sir. You have religion. You just put it all in you. God bless you. Bless his heart. Everybody got religion, but what sets Christianity apart is called a relationship. This morning, God may be speaking. He may be telling you, you need to come and, and, and get right with him. Maybe he's telling you to become part of what he's doing at Kennebec Baptist Church. During the invitation, you, you may feel God's Spirit leading you to, to unite with the church, or, or perhaps you've been struggling with discouragement, and this morning you just want to come down to the altar and just give it to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, you, you know what I've been through. Or maybe he's already seen you through a, a period of discouragement, and you want to come this morning and say, thank you, Jesus. But the most important step you'll ever make is the step you'll make to allow Jesus inside. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door, I will come in to him and, and be with him and him with me. As our musicians are coming forward this morning, I just want to ask you a question. Have you had a life-changing encounter with Jesus? Has there been a time and a place in your life where you allowed Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior? I'm not asking if you've got a religion. I'm asking you have a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have it, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. Right here, right now. You walk into this church with all the sins of the world, you walk out a new creation in Christ. Would you bow your heads? While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I just want to ask you a question. Do you know that if you died today, that you would go to heaven? Do you know that heaven is your home? You can say, Pastor Mark, I know that I have committed my life to Jesus. No, I'm not going to ask you if you're perfect because there was only one perfect person and he got crucified for all of us. I'm going to ask you, have you ever made a commitment to Jesus? Do you remember praying and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of living a sinner's life and I realize that you are my only hope. Lord, would you please save me? Friend, if you've never had that moment, if there's never been that time, what are you waiting on? Right here, right now, why don't you pray that prayer? Why don't you tell God, God, you know what? I want to make sure that heaven is my home. I know that Jesus is your son. I know that he died on that cross. I know that he rose again from the grave. And God, today, today, I want to commit my life to him. God, please come into my heart and save friend, if that's the prayer of your heart during this invitation, I want you to just come forward and let's pray together. Let's, let's get that right. Maybe you've already been saved and you just want to make Kennebec your, your church home. This morning during the invitation, you want to come and say, you know what, I, I just want to be a part of what God is doing here at Kennebec Baptist Church. Like I said, you might just want to come up and spend some time with the Lord this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, this most important part, Move in the hearts of your people. Let your Holy Spirit touch each and every life. In Jesus' name.